0: Well, we continue this morning and actually wrap up our sermon series that we have entitled, We Are Called. We are a church that is called. We are a church that is on mission. And four weeks ago, when we started this series, we talked about the different callings that this church has, a calling to gather for worship each week. A calling for discipleship, to be disciple, to understand what it means to follow Christ. And we defined discipleship here at Coleridge as following Christ in such a way that we begin to love God and love others more. And then last week we talked about the importance of fulfilling our call of cultural renewal. As we answer the call to fulfill the cultural mandate, what does it mean for a church to be on mission, to engage the culture, to bring about beauty and light, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in a culture that is dark and decaying, to bring life to it through the power of the Gospel. And this week, as we wrap up, we highlight our last component of mission, our calling as a church, to reach the community, to engage in community outreach, that we fundamentally believe that this church is not just for us, but that this church is for the city. That this church is not just for the people that gather in this room on Sunday morning, but this, this church has existed for almost 60 years. And by God's grace, it will exist for another 60 years that will continue to reach the people that walk the streets of Fort Lauderdale and beyond for the sake of the kingdom of God and the glory of His kingdom. And in the next few weeks, in the next few months, we are going to make a concerted effort to highlight the ministries that this church is going to be committed to in the next season of ministry when it comes to outreach, whether it be Hope Women's Center, or evangelism explosion, whether it be our ministry to Avondale, whether it be our ministry to Hope South Florida and reaching the homeless of this community, the missionaries that are spread out all throughout this community and throughout the world, we are going to be giving our church an opportunity to respond. Because the ministry of this church is not a ministry of people that will sit down and just simply take, but a church that responds and will give back to the community in which we have been called to live and to serve. And to talk about, to look at, what does it mean to be a church that reaches its community? We're going to look at a passage that I'm sure is familiar to many of you. That is Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 1 through 14. And it's in Jeremiah chapter 29 that we have to understand the context. The Babylonians had come in and they had sacked Jerusalem and they killed the the Israelites and they had taken the cultural elites, you could call them, the cultural leaders of the day into captivity taken them away from their home and led the Israelites, the leaders, the cultural leaders of the day, into exile. But the leaders decided that they would not move into the city. The Israelites made a decision that we would not move in to Babylon. And so when Jeremiah the prophet sends them this letter, they are on the outskirts of Babylon. Why? Because they felt like if they would go into the city they would lose their beliefs. They would lose their distinctiveness. And so they're all gathered as Israelites on the outskirts of Babylon when Jeremiah sends them this letter and says, oh no, your calling is no longer to live on the outskirts of Babylon, that corrupt city, but your calling is to move in. As we talked about last week, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Last week, when we looked at Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is calling to the church is to be a city, to be a city on a hill. And although that might be a little confusing to us this morning, for the Jew, they understood full well what it meant to be a city. And although Jesus just touches on this in Matthew 25, this idea of being a city that is set apart, a city set on a hill, it's actually Jeremiah 29 that unpacks the meaning of this city. What should this city look like? What should the city of God look like in the midst of the city of man? So Jeremiah 29 is going to help unpack the concept of this city, this city on a hill. Hear the word of God. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother and the court's officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Saphon, and to Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place. From which I have carried you into exile. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, no, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Culture, each strategy for breakfast. Those words were attributed to the late business management guru, Peter Drucker. Culture, each strategy for breakfast. You ask any leader, you ask any leader of any organization that comes in, a new leader that comes into any organization, and they will say that strategy is often not the hardest thing to change, it's culture, the way people think and the way people act, the mindset, the philosophy of any organization is always the toughest thing to change, and they call this organizational culture. The culture of any organization, no matter whether it's a Fortune 500 business or even a church, it is always one of the greatest challenges for the leader to change culture. Well, believe it or not, that's exactly what God was doing here in Jeremiah 29. This was a cultural shift for the people of God. He wanted to change culture and be able to send them this message that the way you have been acting, resisting engaging with these people, resisting engaging with the people of Babylon, we are in need, people of God, of a cultural shift. And so God uses Jeremiah by way of this letter to the exiles to say, culture for the nation of Israel has to change it says, no longer will we be the people of God who look out from the outskirts of a dark city, a city that is broken, a city that is hurting, and look out. But we are going to change the culture of our people. And we are going to people be a people that dive in, that go in. We are going to build the city of God in the midst of a city that is hostile to your values and hostile to your convictions. Does it sound familiar? We are going to be a city that understands our critical calling to reach the people. Because if we do not reach them, nobody will. And so using Jeremiah 29 this morning, I want us to answer the critical question of what does it mean for us, for us as a church in 2017 to do outreach? here in our city, a city that is hostile to our values and our convictions, a picture of how God wants us to be his people to live in this city and in this community. Well, the first thing we have to understand about the calling to reach our city that we see here in Jeremiah 29 is that we have to make the city our home we have to make the city our home. Where do we what do we see in verses 5 and 6? And I I went through this part slowly because I wanted us to understand the gravity of what God was saying. In verses 5 and 6, God is saying, "Make the city your home. I want you to build houses. I want you to settle down. I want you to buy real estate and engage in commerce. I want you to plant gardens." I want you to marry and increase. Don't decrease. I want you to populate the earth and the world of people that know God and love God. I want you to settle down. Move away from the suburbs and the outskirts of Babylon and move into the city, into this very pluralistic pagan society. I want you to dive in, to move in, and this is how I want you to live in exile. Embrace it as your home. Don't avoid it. You see, in the New Testament, just, just not in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Christians are always referred to as exiles. You see, for us living, living here in South Florida today, we, if we call the name of Christ call upon the name of Christ and call ourselves believers, then we are exiles. We are what James and First Peter in the first chapter call aliens or resident aliens. Those that realize that yes, although our home might be in the future kingdom of God, that our home right now is here. And King Nebuchadnezzar has carried them here to make it their home. But it's interesting, in verse 1 of chapter 29, it says that Nebuchadnezzar carried them there. But then later on through the passage, it says, specifically in verse 7, it says that God carried them there. So what is it? Did Nebuchadnezzar bring them into exile or did God bring them into exile? And the answer is both. You see, we have to understand the reason we can embrace this as our current and present home is we believe that although there are social forces that make this not the most desirable place to live, that God is still on His throne and He's sovereign. And He's using those social forces. God used the social forces of evil in the day of Nebuchadnezzar to bring the people of God out out from Jerusalem and into captivity and what he said is I am going to use you and I am going to refine you and I am going to do something even more glorious and beautiful than you had before and God sends us the same message this morning I am in control here in South Florida, I am in control. And all of the so- social forces, all of the things that you look around and you cannot believe that you live in the city that you live in, God is saying, I am in control of all of those things. And I am using all of those things for my glory so that you can take comfort and make this your home. About a year ago, I shared some statistics with our church. They were pretty amazing. Last year, South Florida, the tri-county area, Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade were named the most unchurched region in America. The most unchurched region in America. Has there not ever been a better time from the church of Jesus Christ to say, no, we are going to move in and settle down and reach the most unchurched region in America Has there never been a better time to be a Christian in South Florida as we talked about last week to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? But it will not. We will never change South Florida if we are on the outskirts looking in. We will only change South Florida if we say, no, our mission and our calling is to embrace this as our current home and to move in to be the light in the midst of the darkness. It means we must move in And make ourselves useful in it. It means we need to join boards. We need to join the school board. And we need to join our civic association board. That's why one of our Vision 2020 goals is that every civic association within a two-mile radius would be filled with people from Coral Ridge being the salt of the earth and the light of the world in their local communities. It means you need to run for office. It means you need to get involved with one of the ministries here at Coral Ridge and participate in our after-school program to underprivileged students that we have Monday through Friday right here on our campus reaching 50 underprivileged children because the state won't tell them about Jesus, but when they're here, they will hear about Jesus. It means getting involved in your community. It means getting involved with ministries like Hope South Florida or Broward Right to Life or Hope for South Florida that is reaching the homeless community here in Fort Lauderdale. Make this your home. Settle down and embrace the calling and the city that God has called you to, point one. But the second thing that we need to understand is that we are a people that live in tension. Theologians have often called this the already but not yet. That although, yes, we are... We know our future calling and our future home is heaven and the heavenly city. We realize that we live in this earthly kingdom. And so the point too is we need to represent that future home. That although we make this our current home, we need to represent our future home. What does that mean? It means being an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Although this is our current home, we realize that we live in the world, that we are not of the world, so that we are a people that live with this great tension, that we embrace this city and call it our home, but we represent the kingdom of God as ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? They are someone who has the most difficult task of living in a country, but representing the values and the ideas of another country. And that is your calling as well. Make this your home, but represent your future home. The New Testament calls this an ambassador. Never forget that you represent the values and the interests and the ideals of a different country, of the kingdom of God. In Philippians 3, verse 20, what does Paul say? He says that your citizenship is where? In the heavenly city. That means that we are a people living in the midst of the city of man. We understand that we represent the city of God and that we have a different set of values and a different set of ideals. And anybody that lives any amount of time in this city in particular, understands that this city in particular represents the ideals of Western culture. And what I mean by that is, doesn't the Western culture say that my life exists for me? It is me first living. And we get this from the time that we are brought out of the womb, right? You don't have to teach any child me first living, any parents that are out there. Children get it instinctively what it means to be me first but it's living in the midst of a me-first culture that the church needs to rise up and says, no, it's you first. My needs become secondary to the needs of those that are hurting and broken. Your values must reflect the values of the kingdom of God. And what are the two values that more than anything else drive us? the values that drive us and fight for our affection and our heart are affluence and influence. If we were to boil down all of our values, we in this culture value affluence and influence more than anything else. Will I have enough money? Will I have enough power? Money and power drive this culture unlike any other values drive them power and money affluence and influence the world says all of this is mine and the kingdom says no it all belongs to God and all of my money belongs to God and it's used for the sake of his kingdom the world says when it comes to power we need to make a name for ourselves and pride is the basis of our influence that we need to make a name for ourselves to find our glory sound familiar Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. We will make a name for ourselves and we will be great. And the kingdom of God says, no, it is not pride, which is the basis of your value system. It is humility that you would give of yourself and serve. And joy and justice, my life for you, would mark the values of the people of the kingdom of God. So remember that we are first called as a people to make this our home. Secondly, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, we remember that we represent our future home. But how in the world are we ever going to do this? And that's the third and final point. In order to live in this tension of making this our home, but representing our future home with a different set of values that are according to the kingdom of God, we must learn what it means to love this city sacrificially. You see, to love this city sacrificially requires us not only to withdraw and to live and represent the kingdom of God, But in order to love sacrificially, we must answer the call of verse 7. In verse 7, and it's actually the epicenter of this entire passage, it says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. For the Israelites, they must have been absolutely dumbfounded by this calling. Why? Why? Because these two words, to seek the peace and prosperity, or maybe other versions, it says to seek the welfare of your city, there is no word that captures the true meaning of the original Hebrew. The original Hebrew here is what? It's shalom. Shalom is the fullness of peace. It's the fullness. It's the ultimate peace that can only come from God through the people of God. And so the Jews must have been dumbfounded that they are called to not only embrace this city, to not only represent the values of the kingdom of God, but to also seek the shalom of this city. And why must they have been dumbfounded? You see, for the Jews, they were very used to praying for the shalom of the city. The only difference is they had only been used to praying for the shalom of their own city, the city of God, Jerusalem. And now God was calling them, pray for the shalom of the city of those that have come and destroyed your city. Pray for the shalom of those that do not share your convictions and your ideals. Pray and seek the shalom for those that oppose you and have different set of values and convictions. For those that have literally murdered your family, pray for the shalom of that city. And you can imagine how this probably rocked their world. Seek the shalom of the city, full thriving, full flourishing, in a city that is hostile to your values. You see, to seek the shalom of the city has both a physical and a spiritual component to it. To seek the shalom of our city in which we have been called to serve means that we seek the social and physical shalom in every possible way. We pray for the peace of the homeless. We pray for the peace of those moms with unplanned pregnancies. We pray for the peace of the widow. These. This is a calling to serve with serve with acts of justice and compassion. When we say in our tagline that we are a church that fulfills its calling in both the area of reconciliation and renewal, this is the renewal part. God making all things new, physical and social shalom in our city. That's why we just don't say, hey, just let's worry about getting people saved and we all know where we're going to go when we die, but that we actually go and we fight for against abortion. and We fight for the vulnerables and the marginalized of our society. And that we seek to make this a better place to live and to work and to play because we are ambassadors of the King. We are bringing renewal to our city. But seeking the shalom of our city not only has a physical aspect to it, but there's a spiritual aspect of it to it as well. We are called to seek the spiritual shalom of our city. Because at the end of the day, people are craving and dying to know peace that not enough money and not enough affluence and not enough influence will ever satisfy their weary soul, and that we have an opportunity to introduce them to the Prince of Peace. This is our reconciliation to our city, that through evangelism, through a church learning how to actively share their faith, we can be sent out into the world to introduce people to the Prince of Peace and to let them know that they can be reconciled to God the person and work of Jesus Christ you see seeking the shalom of your city means that we not only pray but that we ask God through prayer how would you move me this day and how would you send me to bring shalom full peace into the city that you have brought me it's interesting at the end of verse 7 it says not only to seek the peace and prosperity to seek the shalom, it's just to pray. As I said before, the Jews understood what it meant to pray for the shalom, but for the Jews, they only understood what it meant to pray for their own. You see, God was calling them to pray for those that opposed them. And the reality is that you can only truly learn to pray for a person whom you love. And so what God was ultimately saying was not only pray for the shalom, He was saying you need to be so convicted and changed in your heart that you actually not only pray on behalf of your city, but you begin to love them. You begin to love the unlovable. You begin to love those that oppose you. You begin to love those that insult you. You begin to love those that persecute you. Does it sound familiar? Who was the one that came, that loved his enemies in the face of persecution, and in the face of insult? You see, the only way we get this ethic, the only way we get this value system, the only way we can change our framework and our operating system to love the unlovable, to love our enemy in such a way that we pray for the shalom of our city, both physically and spiritually, is that we have to look and fix our eyes upon Jesus and when we begin to actually love our city here will be the fruit here is the sign that we actually begin to love the unlovable this is the sign you begin to own your city you begin to own the brokenness of your city the brokenness of your city and your community is no longer something for someone else to fix it becomes the very thing that you are called to fix That means if there is a problem with abortion in Broward County, it is the Church of Jesus Christ raising up, rising up and saying, we own abortion in this city. And if it is going to be fixed, it will be the people in this room that are going to fight for it and champion it. It means if there is a problem with homelessness and poverty in our city, it will be the church of Jesus Christ that rises up and says we are going to own this problem and human trafficking and orphans and communities like Avondale and widows and those affected by natural disaster. And we as a church say we will own this. This is our problem to bear. We will own the brokenness of our city. You see, only through Jesus can we have this heart of compassion because it's in Romans 5 that Paul says, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for you. You see, until we understand that we at one point were the marginalized, we at one point were the enemies of God, we were the ones that were once insulting to God, only once we understand that through the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God pursued us through Jesus, can then we go out and lay down our lives for others. Let me end with this. There was a pastor in the Chattanooga area his name was Joe, and his outreach to the city was to go visit people in the hospital that were lonely. And you say, that doesn't sound too original, but he would actually go the extra mile, and he would go to the hospital as his ministry of outreach to his city, and he would ask the receptionist at the hospital, who are the people in the hospital that have not received one visit from anyone? I want to go see them. And he found this lady by the name of Charlene. He found out Charlene had, was local. She grew up in the area, but she had no friends or family in the area. She wasn't a believer, she wasn't a Christian, and she was dying of brain cast, uh, brain cancer. And so this pastor wandered up to her room and introduced himself and said, Charlene, I'm a pastor, and I've come to be your friend. Now, you might not want a friend, and that's okay. And if I make you feel uncomfortable in any way, you can simply tell me to leave. But until you tell me to leave, I'm going to come every day to be your friend. And as he was leaving that first day, he turned around and he said, Charlene, life is short, so let's not waste it. So I'm going to come every morning at 9 o'clock until you tell me not to come anymore. Well, later that week, knowing that Charlene had no friends or family, but knowing that she graduated from the local high school, went to the library and found a high school yearbook from the year Charlene graduated, and he spent an entire week tracking down old friends from her class and did a mass email and said, "Charlene, is her time on Earth is short, and would you write? Take a minute to write a short email." reminiscing about memories from childhood and, and, and letters that would be used to encourage her. And after two weeks, he had over 60 emails of love and affection for Charlene from classmates that she had not seen in years. And he brought this stack of emails and he sat at the edge of Charlene's bed and he read every single email. Stories and emails of affection and love And he read day after day after day. And then it came the day when it was about the end. And Charlene said, would you sit down next to me? And she said, Pastor, so are you really my friend? And he said, of course I'm your friend. Well, if you're really my friend, would you tell me about your Jesus? And would you tell me how to receive eternal life? And he did. And she embraced Jesus as her Lord and Savior. But who wouldn't with a friend like that? You see, the only way that we can truly engage in the ministry that God has called us to reach our city is to understand that there is one that went before us and his name is Jesus Christ. And that he left his heavenly city and came to the city of man only to be crucified so that we could go into the city of man with full freedom and conviction and confidence that one day we are going to the city of God and that we want to take as many people with us. When you leave here in a few minutes, you are being sent out into this city as missionaries for the kingdom of God. And my prayer for us as a church is that we would go into this city living as missionaries for the kingdom of God, going out into this world that is dying for peace and longing for shalom, and that we would be quick to point them to Jesus, our only hope.